This is the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8. One of my favorites. Episode 8 corresponds with Episode 3. If you listen to them back to back, you're going to be very well served. These are my favorites because this episode is all about the math of how banks decide to lend you money. The name that the banks use for this math equation is the debt service coverage ratio. I'll never forget when I first started doing transitions at a a big dental CPA firm, I would get on the phone with these bankers and they would talk about deals and they would use this term debt service coverage ratio. And sometimes they'd say DSC um, or coverage ratio, or or they'd use uh, the abbreviation, the the mathematical answer to this ratio. They say, oh, this is a 1.1. Oh, this is a 0.95 deal. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I have an undergrad in business. I have an MBA. I'm like, I've never heard of a debt service coverage ratio. What the heck are you guys talking about? And um, as you can probably tell, I'm not afraid to look like an idiot. So I would pester these bankers to explain it to me. Once the light bulb clicked, I understood what they meant. And I simultaneously wondered why no one else is talking about this. Uh, So here we are, gosh, it's six, seven, eight years later, um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I still don't see anyone else talking about this stuff. So you guys are getting very, very, uh, important information that frankly, I have not seen anywhere else. Uh, so episode eight, the math of how the banks decide to lend you money is going to be one you're going to want to listen to. And I do have a PDF again, uh, that's out on my website. Um, you can see this equation in print. You can kind of uh, see how it works, uh, know what goes into the numerator, it goes into the denominator. Um, it's on the the nine steps to buy uh, uh, link at the top of my page. Step five of the nine steps is bank financing. That PDF is there. You're free to download it anytime. Uh, there's no, no catch. It's free. Um, just grab it. Uh, but if all you do is listen to this episode, you're going to be a lot further ahead than most of your colleagues when it comes to borrowing to, uh, to fund your practice purchase. So episode eight, Mike Pakula with B of A. Enjoy. All right, Mike, we're going to shift gears. Uh, we're talking with Michael Pakula. We're going to talk through the math of how banks decide to lend you money. This is something that very few people talk about. I have ne- I've never read an article about this, which is interesting. Uh, Michael, we'll have to put this together um, as an actual article that people can refer back to. But I, let's start with a, a very basic question. I think the sense is that if you've got a buyer who has good credit and some cash, that buyer can buy pretty much whatever practice they want. Is that true? Unfortunately, that is not true. Those are two toll gates or benchmarks that we like to see. We love to see strong production, strong uh, liquidity, of course, good credit history. But that's only part of the puzzle. Um, there's something called debt service, which I've mentioned a couple times. And I'm happy, Brian, to go through as detailed with this as you'd like. But it's um, I guess I'll explain to you what that is. Give me that debt, give me debt service coverage ratio in one to two sentences. And then, yes, we're going to drill down into it. But what? What is debt service or debt service coverage ratio? What does that mean? Well, forgive me because I might take more than one or two sentences. (laughs) Uh, So think about it. The easiest way I suppose I could describe this is think about it as one big fraction. Or before we do that, think about it as a marriage between the buyer's personal obligations and the financial strength of the practice that he or she is looking to purchase. Okay, let me stop. So, so that's that's perfect because uh, you're just validating what I've always told people. People, I'll go to a dental school or a residency program, 
and they'll ask me about borrowing and I'll say, hey, it's it's 60% of the decision from the bank's perspective is the practice. 40% is you, how much you have in student loans, how many kids you have, does your wife work, do you have a bunch of credit card debt, all of these things. So you're saying it's both of those things, whether or not my 60-40 is exact, it sounds like you and I are kind of saying the same thing, is that right? Totally, yeah, that's fair. Okay, so mm -hmm. let me, so you said fraction, I, I wanna drill into the, the, the practice side and the personal side in a little bit more, no, quite a bit more detail actually, but before I do that, sure. there's a number. I'll get on a phone with an underwriter, a banker, you, you know, somebody else, a competitor, and they'll give me a, a number. What What is the go, no-go number? And then let's break it down into its components. Perfect. So what we would like to see at a bare minimum is every for every dollar that a borrower is obligated to, we would like the practice to profit, not collect, but profit at the end of the day, at least $1.20 for every dollar going out. Okay. So that is a a dollar twenty for a dollar twenty of profit coming in for every dollar the dentist has going out, and that is um, I'll sometimes hear a that is a one point two. That's a one point two. In other words, mm -hmm. one hundred twenty divided by a hundred is one point two. Okay, yep. got it. All right. Exactly. Um, the higher, the better, of course. Of course. Um, yeah, at least 1.5, 1. 1. that's that's a dollar fifty of profit coming in for every dollar I have going out. Before we talk about what goes into that number um, internally at a bank, how you know how is that number used? Who calculates the number? And then, do you guys ever like do you ever debate it? Is it ever like, well, it's it's a one point one nine, but I really think we should give them this loan, like. Tell me a little bit about the discussions internally at Bank of America around that number. Totally. Yeah. And um, so we're very, very open with the underwriters and they're very, very open with us. We review every single deal that is submitted. Um, so, yes, there is some circumstances where maybe it comes back at a 1.18. And I look at it and I say, hey, you know, we're not considering some of these uh, what's what are called add backs. And I'm, maybe we can get into that in a little bit, Brian. What that means is maybe there's something on the tax return that is an expense that the owner has now that the set, that the buying doctor won't incur moving forward. Maybe the underwriter missed it or uh, maybe it wasn't discussed. For example, maybe there are, the seller has three teenage children and each of them are on payroll for $15,000. Uh, just a way of taking advantage legally of their taxes. There's no problem there. That's something that I would want to add back for our buyer because, you know, maybe they do want to pay the seller's kids 15000 a year, but my guess is very likely no. Sounds, um, like, so that, sounds like then you're calculating the number and giving the number to the underwriter. The underwriter is calculating the number. I am reviewing it and say, if I don't agree with it and say, hey, look, we didn't account for the three children's income here. We need to add that back. And then that may push us over the 1.2 to 1 mark. I see. So the underwriter calculates the number, but you may come back to the, the underwriter and say, hey, you forgot this. And uh, well, well in, in fairness, they call me out on my my mishaps sometimes, too. But yes, <laughs> I've been noticed. I've been known to catch a few of those. Yeah. Let's so let's talk through. You said it's dollars coming in is the numerator. That's the profit from the business dollars going mm -hmm. out. That's the obligations the buyer has. So let's talk about the numerator first. Then let's talk about the denominator. Um, first of all, you know, what's in the numerator? You said it's the profit from the business. Tell me a little bit more. How do you calculate that? Great question. So, the, yeah, the, the, the numerator, that top number. So uh, I, if I'm looking at a tax return, 
the, the very first number, this, and it can go in any order. This is how I've trained myself to do it. I'll look at very first the bottom line profit number that that buyer or that seller, excuse me, is reporting to the IRS. That's the net income. That's the number the dentist, the seller told the IRS that they made last year. Correct. Uh, understanding that there is more profit there that they're legally taking advantage of. So I try to extrapolate all of that and include that in the numerator, as does the underwriter. What that would include would be something called amortization. Right? If there are loans out on the practice, uh, that's where you'll, you'll, you'll get that ad back. Depreciation. Maybe there was a, um, some equipment, major equipment bought. You could depreciate that uh, and take that up off the bottom line. Um, interest. Also another part, if the seller has a loan, uh, the seller is allowed to legally run auto up to a certain amount of their cars through, through the practice. I'll add that back. Um, and then we'll dig to see what we call non-standard ad backs. So maybe the selling doctor is just has been working with a supply company for so long, they're just overpaying drastically for supplies um, for no reason other than they, they've been working with the same rep for 30 years. They don't want to change anything. We will come in and likely move that closer to an industry average, and that would be considered an add back that we would add to the top line. So any, it's basically any expense that the buyer will not incur moving forward. You, you didn't mention it, but I think the seller's salary, if they're paying themselves a wage through a uh, yeah. company, mm -hmm. that would be included, right? Okay, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So internally at B of A, where's the debate? You know, where do you guys debate around the numerator? You, you mentioned the supply costs. I could imagine uh, some some argument around that. Are there common topics where you guys find yourself com commonly arguing? No, I mean, I don't know if we're arguing so much now in, in relation to the buyer's um, obligations, that's where we can sometimes have some debate. But as far as the practice, I mean, the numbers are pretty cut and dry. If there's extenuating circumstances of, you know, a seller injury or something like that, then, you know, we can, we can kind of look at those one-off scenarios. But so I'm going to make a comment here aside from the numerator dump. I'm going to get at the denominator in just a second, but buyers listening, this is, this is really important. So pay close attention to this. What Michael just said is that the profit from the business is going to determine how much you can borrow and whether or not you can borrow. So a lot of times I'll get a seller who's collecting, let's say the seller's collecting an even million dollars, but their overhead sucks. They're not running the practice very well. They have 75% overhead compared to something like 61, 62%, which is the industry standard. That means the seller's bringing home less money and they're gonna, there's less profit. So that also means for you as the buyer, you're going to go to Michael Pakula and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to buy this practice. It's collecting a million dollars. The seller wants, and the seller always just wants a percentage of collections. The seller never thinks about profit. But the seller is going to say, you know, I want 850 for this practice. You're going to go talk to Michael and say, I want to borrow 850 to buy this practice. And Michael's going to look at you and say, there's no profit. The numerator in the debt service coverage ratio is too small to buy this practice. And it's going to have nothing to do with you as the buyer. Nothing. You just found a practice that didn't have very good profit. Michael, am I saying that correctly? Or is there anything you'd add or change to that? No, that, that's, that's perfect. The, the, the numerator is something that the borrower cannot control. The borrower controls the denominator. Yes. All right. So let's talk about the denominator. Um, what goes into it? And where do you see folks commonly get surprised? So what goes into that is, as I mentioned, any obligation for the borrower. So whether that be a mortgage or rent payment and B of A, we're a conservative lender. We want to put you in the best position. So even if you're living in your parents' basement, 
we will give a minimum rent number because we figure that if you're going to buy a profitable practice, you're likely going to move out of mom and dad's mom and dad's place. So uh, mortgage or rent, your student loan payment. I can get into that in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Or your okay, student, back to that. That's great. Okay. Your student loan obligation, uh, maybe if you have a credit card balance, if you have a car payment, um, and your payment back to the bank, of course, for the loan. Uh, anything that you're obligated to on your credit history, on your credit report, plus we will estimate roughly what your taxes will be after you buy this practice. After, not now, but after, okay. A after, after purchasing the practice. And we will also estimate, and this is, there's no exact science to this, but we will estimate what we call a living adjustment which is, you know, we understand that you have to pay for groceries and you have to, you know, keep the electric on. Um, so, and that number is in relation to cash and time licensed. So, and- uh, Interesting. So, yeah, what I hear you saying with that comment, I'm gonna come back to the student loans, but what I hear you saying with that last comment, in relation to cash and time out of school, that's my, my phrase, <laughs> I hear you saying, the longer dentists have been out of school, the more money they spend. Well, some of them, yes. Uh, and and, and when, when I say there's an adjustment to the quote living expense, that's only if we go back to that scenario from a couple minutes ago, which was licensed in 2001, $50,000 cash, 280 earning history. Okay, where's the money going? If we don't have a story, then we have to adjust for this person's you know lifestyle that they're going to spend X amount because that's what they've been doing historically. So it's really only something that can hurt you if you've been licensed to, um, you know, a decent amount of time with not a lot of cash on hand. Um, of course, this won't apply to very many buyers listening to this, uh, but um, you know, the few buyers that have student loans, just kidding, every buyer that ever talks to you or I, um, which student loan number are you using? Are you using the amount they're paying today? when they might be on income-based repayment or some other lower option? Or are you using the student loan repayment number that will be in the future? Will be in the future. It's a good question. Um, we, because we assume that once your earnings go up, uh, depending on the practice, you know, the size of the practice that you're going to buy, that that income-based repayment of $100 a month will no longer apply. And again, we still want to put you in the best financial situation. So we conservatively use a number that we amortize over a long period of time at a relatively low interest rate. Okay, got it. So in theory, I could have two buyers that graduated from the same dental school and they're gonna have a different denominator. It's gonna be the pace based on where they live, how much money they borrowed while they're in school. What about um, uh, spouse, number of kids? You know, is there anything else that affects that denominator? Yes. Um, so de dependents, uh, if we have dependents on the tax return, maybe a, a spouse that, that doesn't have income or you know ch uh, children, we will assign a, a certain dollar amount to each of those because you'll have to take care of those people financially. So um, yes, that will affect it. If there is a spouse that doesn't work and there's six kids, then that, you know, that will change your denominator, certainly. I want to wrap up, um, and, and you can make any final comments here about debt service coverage, but um, one of my pet peeves or, or in my more fun moments, they're, they're on the Facebook groups. I don't know, Michael, if you're in any of these, right? The big dental Facebook group, there's like 10,000 dentists, right? And someone mm -hmm. will ask the question, 
ah, uh, you know, who's given the best loans? And somebody will mention, you know, Wells, B of A, Provide, whoever. And, and then right after that, someone will reply. It's inevitable. Someone will reply, well, I applied with B of A, and they denied me, and da 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 And, you know, it's really funny to me because for two reasons. Number one, as the bank, you can't get on and defend yourself, right? You can't jump on and say, oh, well, you know, Jose Martinez, like, we gave you a loan because you're awesome, but Brian Hanks, you know, you should see how much he has in student loans, and you should see how much he's spending on his boat and everything else. So you can't defend yourselves, but nobody understands this. Nobody understands that banks aren't just handing out money willy-nilly to whoever for whatever reason. Um, is there anything, <laughs> am I, what else would you add about debt service coverage that, you know, buyers should know as we wrap up? I kind of want to use that as a quote on my signature line in my email, Brian. I really like that a lot. <laughs> um, look, I, back to what you can control in the denominator, okay? Um, there's no reason for you to have a $2,200 car payment before you own a practice. That's that's going to drastically affect the chances of getting approved. And in my own personal opinion, I just, I, I don't think it's necessary. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen them. Yeah. Um, your credit card debt, eliminate that. That's another unnecessarily monthly expense um, that you can control moving forward. Just keep your finances in check. Keep your cash on hand. And your production is absolutely your best piece of buying power. So if I can use that quickly as an example on debt service, it'll really maybe kind of help illustrate how that 1.2 to 1 ratio is affected. So let's say Brian is looking to buy a practice, my practice, and it collects $800,000. And hygiene, pretty good. It's about 25% where I work. So 600000 for doctor production at my practice. Well, if Brian doesn't have any production reports or he never bothered to collect them for whatever reason, isn't able to, to show them, B of A and most dental lenders will only give credit for 400000 in annual production. So in this scenario, Brian wants to get a loan to buy my practice, but he's only able to produce $400,000 and I'm producing $600,000. So there's a gap there of $200,000. The bank will assume that Brian will have to pay someone to come in and do that $200,000 of dentistry. And at 30%, that's a $60,000 expense. That number is being taken away from the, from the numerator. That's no longer profit. So that's drastically going to affect your chances of getting approved. So if I can give one piece of advice to anyone listening, keep track of your production reports, know it early on in the process. And if you have any, any inkling of buying a practice that collects over $800,000, make sure your production is at least 600, 650, if not much higher. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. Let me add something to what I, I heard you say, the, the number one thing for buyers the, to pay attention to and to, when borrowing is their production. Could I amend that and say the number one thing the buyer can control is their own sure. production. And then the number one thing that's going to affect their loan is the practice that they're buying, right? Because of that numerator factor. Okay, yep. Which is yes. why my standard advice, you know, the book, the podcast, other places is, you know, try to, you know, rather than buying the fixer upper practice, you should probably be looking at the collect practices collecting $800,000 plus because it just makes everything else easier. Okay, uh -huh. Mike Bakula, we're going to have you back. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about how to decide between two loans. We're going to talk about real estate, seller holdbacks, hold et cetera. Uh, but thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you.